Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, everybody. How's it going? You did it. Pat yourself on the back. You made it through the snowy blizzard <laughs> to come today. You guys were all, you're probably like, you know what we could do? They have the technology. We could live stream this from our house. But you said no to that. And you were like, we're going to drive there. We're getting in our cars. We're going to make it here. So just congratulations. Just you did it. <laughs> Thank you for being here in person. Um, we were wondering what was going to happen if uh, everyone was more into the World Cup or afraid of the snow or whatever. Uh, what's that? How to be at home. How to be at home? Is that what you said? How do we get home? Oh, how do you get home? I don't know. That, you can figure that out later. Um, <laughs> okay. <clears throat> well, welcome. Hey, by the way, if you are new to church, like, Glad you're here on this Sunday. Uh, if you're new to Jesus and you've been exploring more about Jesus, we're really grateful that you're with us because um, really Christmas is a beautiful opportunity to discover the story, the hope, um, the life of Jesus. And uh, I want to just add my two cents to that moment of, of generosity. Like, thank you uh, to you, church family, for all of your generosity um, financially and just the way in which many of you are sacrificing and giving. It's amazing. I just want to highlight a couple quick things. We still have some families that are part of um, this collection of families we really as a church wanna bless. And so I think there's four families remaining um, 
And so you can just, if you in your life group or your family want to bless some of these families who are walking through a hard time, um, there's a specific way to do that. You can go to the booth in the foyer or you can go online to our Advent Blessing uh, site on our website. And you can check more out there. And then also Kawasha. We have some kids uh, in Uganda that we're partnered with a school called Kawasha. And uh, we, they still have yet to be um, uh, adopted as, uh, or partnered with. And so if you are looking to do that, maybe as a Christmas gift or yeah, as a family or life group, just want to highlight those two things, Advent Blessing and Kawasha. Okay. Hey, so um, I'm really excited about this morning. I'm really excited about this text in, in particular. And I, I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, would you open it to Matthew chapter 2? Um, you, there's actually going to be some flipping back and forth. So uh, hopefully you have both hands available to kind of keep a finger in one place and jump to another place because it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, uh, as, as you're preparing, as you're grabbing your Bible, I just want to tell you uh, a story comes to mind uh, from years ago, and I've shared this before, but I took a fine arts course at Trinity when I was an undergrad, so I was like 21, 22, and one of our assignments was to go to the Vancouver Art Gallery and to stare at a painting for one hour um, and to not let your eyes, uh, you know, go to the side or away from the canvas. Like your eyes had to be on the canvas for an hour. What you could do is you could like come really close to the canvas and you could look at the brush strokes and the colors and the way they're mixing together. Then you could just like back up and just try to look at, at, at you know, different angles, corners of the, of the painting. But the idea was like journal your thoughts, which I always thought was hard because my eyes are on the canvas. So I didn't know how to, but anyway, that was the assignment. It's like journal what you're experiencing as you just stare at the canvas. And the most interesting thing happens. You, st you start by looking at it and you're like, boring painting. I mean, it's kind of nice, but I'm just staring at it. And then as the time goes on, there's almost like that 10, 15 minute like boredom. And then you're like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, I kind of like those brushstrokes. And by the time you're into like, I know it's weird to think, like, trust me on this, but into the 30, 45 minute mark, you actually are discovering new things. It just takes some time. And I thought about that story uh, of the Vancouver Art Gallery. I was staring at an Emily Carr painting and beautiful, right? But it's a tree, it's a pine tree, right? And so you're like, how do I interact with this pine tree? But so, so, but I thought about it when it came to this text, because here's what you and I are likely to do. It's Christmas, right? You're, you've come today with a lot of things going on in your life, distractions, fears, disappointments, all kinds of stuff, right? And we come to the Christmas story and we're like, yeah, we get it. <laughs> We've heard it before, right? You know, I've seen maybe, a, 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 I've seen it on film or, you know, I've seen a cartoon version or we picture the nativity set and, uh, you know, we've heard the story from the Gospel of Luke many times. Um, and we're just kind of, we're going to just kind of keep walking, right? We're like, we know the story. But I would encourage you today to do uh, a version of what I did with that Emily Carr painting, is to actually pause, to give it time, and for the next 30 minutes, to actually stop and watch. And, 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 and if you just wait and watch, <laughs> I believe that the Spirit of God is going to point out some things that we've never seen before, things that are so interesting, things that Matthew, the gospel writer, wants you to see about the birth of Jesus. And a lot of these things that we're going to talk about today are not in the traditional Christmas story. You don't often hear them in the traditional Christmas story. But if we have eyes to see, if we have patience, um, there's something beautiful to see. And what I think we're going to see today as we zoom in, zoom out, 
of this living canvas in the Word of God is that we're going to see that Jesus is the light in the darkness because in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so, Jesus, we come to you today, and I lift up my friends in this room. They are, um, Lord, they are walking through all kinds of things this Christmas season. Each of us have brought all kinds of worries, hopes, disappointments into this room, and we are praying, King Jesus, that you would do what only you can do, that you would shine light into those places of darkness, that you would make a great reversal happen. When we feel stuck, when we feel like we're at a dead end, would you give us life and hope? And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Now, um, really quick, uh, as you have your Bible open, I forgot to mention, uh, hopefully all middle school students know that your middle school program has started. Any other straggling middle school students, just so you know, you can head out right now. So sorry about that earlier. Um, Okay, so as we check out the the canvas, the painting before us, I want us to see five things, five things. And each of these five things, to let you know, is a hyperlink to the Old Testament. It's a hyperlink. So when you open up your email and there's a little blue you know, some words in blue, you click those words, it takes you to like a website. It takes you somewhere else, right? The same thing is happening here. When you're reading the story of Jesus' birth, there are hyperlinks embedded in the story that remind you, they take you in your mind to an Old Testament story. And there are five of those today. You with me? Five hyperlinks, Five things that Matthew, the gospel writer, hopes that you see. And see, if you were to be reading this as a Jew, steeped in the Old Testament, knowing your Old Testament, right, which they would not have called the Old Testament, right, but, but steeped in the, in the Jewish scriptures, you would catch these hyperlinks. And our job today is to catch them and to, and to see the beauty of who this child is, of who Jesus is. So this will require, just one quick note, full mental engagement, just so you know. It will feel at times like a Bible study, so hopefully you're ready for that. Are you ready for that? Okay, let's do this. Let's jump in. Okay, five things. Number one, first thing you need to see. The first thing you need to see is Joseph and his dreams. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. All right. Whenever you hear three words in one verse, uh, the words Joseph, dreams, and Egypt, (laughs) they are together for a reason. Joseph, dreams, and Egypt you can be sure that there is a hyperlink happening at this moment. Are you reminded of another Joseph years before in Egypt and dreams, right? Probably, right? In your mind, you probably go back in your mind to 1,800 years before Jesus. There was a Joseph who was given, as a young boy, a coat of many colors. Very famous musical. Joseph in his technicolor dream coat, right, was made for this story. And he was given dreams by God himself, but then he was also able to interpret dreams. 
And there's a famous story of him interpreting dreams of the Pharaoh in Egypt. You see, Joseph in Egypt, in the book of Genesis, is given the ability to interpret a dream that led to the salvation of many people, thousands and thousands of people. If you're new to the Bible, just so you know, it's a wild story. The Pharaoh has a dream that there are these seven fat cows and then there's these seven skinny cows. And Joseph is able to interpret this dream to see that there's going to be seven years of abundance in the harvest. And then there's going to be seven years, seven skinny cows, where there's going to be a famine. So what we need to do for seven years is to store up grain. Let's store up enough grain so that during the seven years where there's a famine, people are able to eat. Okay? So that's that's the story in a nutshell. And so Joseph is given this ability to interpret this dream, and he is actually put in place to make sure that there's enough grain stored up for those seven years of a famine. So bread for those who are hungry. Joseph dreams Egypt. You should be thinking about the way God provided for people who were hungry. Bread for those who were hungry. So here in this story, watch this. Joseph is in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the town means house of bread. Bethlehem, house of bread. Joseph, in house of bread, is given dreams so that his son Jesus, who will call himself the bread of life, the bread of life, will be able to feed the world, right? God will feed a hungry world in and through this child, Jesus, the bread of life. That's the first thing. Second thing, second thing I want us to see. God calls his child out of Egypt, out of Egypt. So let's look at verses 14 and 15. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. Out of Egypt, I called my son. All right, what's going on here? Well, Joseph and Mary uh, escape to Egypt to flee from Herod. We're going to look at this a little bit more in this text, but Herod, tyrant king, is seeking to kill all these Jewish boys, babies, in the town of Bethlehem, right? And so he knows that there's a rival king that's been born there, right? Because of the Magi, the three, the three uh, who came uh, offering gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so he knows there's this king. So he says, okay, kill all the babies in Bethlehem. And so Joseph takes Mary and Jesus, baby Jesus, to Egypt. And probably they went to the town of, or the city of Alexandria, because at this time, Uh, there were probably about a million Jews living in the city of Alexandria in Egypt. And so uh, after some time, though, uh, Joseph gets another dream, a green light, right? And he's able to go back to Israel, right? So now Herod has died, so the threat is over, so he can bring his family back to Israel. And Matthew, the gospel writer, quotes a verse from Hosea, from the prophet Hosea. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called my son. Okay, well, this is interesting. What's going on here? Well, this is another hyperlink. We're linked back thousands of years to the story of the Exodus. Some of you will be familiar with the story of the Exodus. Israel, the people of Israel, were in slavery in Egypt. They were in slavery, and the Exodus was the whole sequence of events where God liberated his people from slavery, right? He took them out of slavery in Egypt. 
And the Exodus, when you, th- when you hear the Exodus, you should think freedom, freedom from slavery. So out of Egypt, I called my son, Israel was God's son, right? And so God uses this, lang- uses this language, right? Through the prophet Hosea, out of Egypt, I called my son. It's like I rescued my boy from slavery. Now, Matthew, the gospel writer, is using this same language for Jesus, but Jesus, Jesus who was in Egypt, and he's coming back to Israel. Out of Egypt, I called my son, Jesus. So what does this say about Jesus? What does this say about what God is about to do? What does this say about what God is pointing to here in the story? Could it be, could it be that this child is going to be the one who is going to lead us into a new exodus, a new freedom from slavery? God longs to set his children free from slavery. Third thing we should see, the third thing we need to see as we zoom in and out of this canvas is Herod is trying to kill innocent children. Let's read verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Okay, a tyrant king is seeking to kill innocent children. Have you heard this story before? Right, shout it out. Who was, when did this happen before? Moses, yeah, the story of Moses. When you read this, you should think hyperlink to Moses, right? A hyperlink to Moses. Now, really quick, before we go there to Moses, it's, it's, it's interesting that Herod feels tricked here, right? He feels absolutely tricked. And in order to kill Jesus, um, he's got to kill every child under the age of two. As N.T. Wright says, quote, before the Prince of Peace had learned to walk and talk, he was a homeless refugee with a price on his head. So Herod, he's, he's paranoid. He's a, he's a ruthless king. He thought nothing of killing his own family members. Uh, we know historically that he killed three of his own sons. He killed his mother-in-law and he killed his own wife. He murdered half of the Sanhedrin. He even ordered that leading citizens of the people of Israel would be killed when he died. Why? Because he knew when he died, no one would weep, right? He was a tyrant. So he said, when I die, you need to kill all these well-loved leaders so that there would be crying in the city when I die. Just absolutely unreal, paranoid, ruthless king. But when we read this story, we are reminded of the story of Moses, the story of Moses. It's a hyperlink. Baby Moses needed to be hidden in the reeds in the Nile to escape the order from Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that all Jewish boys were supposed to be slaughtered. Listen to Exodus chapter 1. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Jesus' birth looks like a parallel to Moses' birth. Do you see that? What is this saying about Jesus? Do we have a new Moses here? A new leader who will confront the dark slave masters of our world? A new leader who will stare at darkness and declare on behalf of his people, let my people go? What is it that Jesus, this child, will one day do at the cross 33 years later, confronting the powers of darkness on the cross? setting children, his children, free. See, God will confront the power of the slave master through Jesus. Just hold on to that. Hold on to that. Number four, 
Okay, by the way, just a little warning sign. Number four and number five are wild and gnarly. So get ready for these. Okay, the fourth thing we need to see is Rachel weeping. Rachel weeping. Have you ever read this story and you just kind of quickly go by the Rachel weeping part? She's like, what on earth is that? What is that about? Okay, we're going to dive in. We're going to dive in. So verses 17 and 18 in Matthew chapter 2. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Whoa, okay, what is happening here? Okay, so paint the picture. Um, Jewish boys are being slaughtered in, in Bethlehem, right? It's a deep sadness in the town of Bethlehem. And Matthew, the gospel writer, includes a prophecy from Jeremiah talking about Rachel crying. It's almost like in the slaughter of these babies, you can hear Rachel crying. What is happening here? Okay. So this is a tricky one, but it's, this is actually a hyperlink. It's a double hyperlink, double rainbow, this triple rainbow, whatever it is. It's double hyperlink, okay? Story number one is Rachel's story. And story number two is the exile. So track with me here. So story number one, Rachel's story. Who, who's Rachel? She was married to? Abraham. Jacob. Yeah, Jacob. And so she's married to Jacob, Jacob's wife. And we, we read actually a really tragic story about uh, Rachel uh, giving birth to her son, Benjamin. Just, you know, for a long time, Rachel couldn't have her own children. Uh, it, it brought her a deep sadness. Uh, but then she's having her second boy here, and she actually dies giving birth to her, her son. And so here's the story in Genesis 35. Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't despair, for you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. Ben-Oni, or Benjamin. So Incredibly sad story. Rachel dies giving birth to Benjamin. In her final breath, she names her son Ben-Oni, which, which means son of my trouble. Son of my trouble. Right? She's dying. But her husband, Jacob, changes the boy's name to Benjamin, son of my right hand. Son of my right hand. And then we read this in Genesis 35. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. So where is Rachel buried? In Bethlehem. Right? Rachel's buried in Bethlehem. That's important. And then you bring in a second story, and it's the story of the exile. Are you familiar with the story of the exile? So hundreds of years after Rachel's death and before Jesus' birth, there's a story of God's people being sent into Babylon. Some of you will know the names of like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, those stories. That's, that's when the people of Israel were sent into exile in Babylon. So the city of Jerusalem was destroyed and the empire of Babylon came and took, and took tons of people out of Israel, Jews out of Israel to Babylon. It's a terrible story. And, there, and imagine in your mind, there's a moment when a long line of Jewish captives are being led out of a destroyed Jerusalem. And where do they march through? They march through Bethlehem. So imagine Rachel's tomb, okay? 
There's Rachel's tomb, and thousands of Jews marching past Rachel's tomb on their way to exile in Babylon. So this is, the, this is the image you should have in your mind. And the prophet Jeremiah writes about weeping, right? There's this weeping that takes place. It's almost like, you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. She's not alive. She's been dead for hundreds of years. But just picture, it's like it's a poetic picture of Rachel weeping as her children, the descendants of her sons, are being sent into exile. It, it's poetic, right? Like if I were to say right now, Queen Elizabeth is weeping over British troops that are dying somewhere, right? Like you'd be like, well, she's not actually weeping. It's like, okay, catch the image, the poetry, okay? So Queen Elizabeth, yeah. So this is the picture of Rachel weeping over, over um, people being sent into exile. And so, but when we go to Jeremiah 31, if you keep reading, you read these words filled with hope. Listen to this. They will return, so that's the people of Israel, they're in Babylon, they will return from the land of the enemy, right? So this is one day, one day they're going to come back. So there's hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. So, so Matthew, the gospel writer, is riffing on all of these threads, right? He's just pulling from all of this and he's saying, Rachel, dry your tears. God is going to rescue his people from exile. Rachel, dry your tears. God is going to do a new thing. Rachel, dry your tears. God is a God who brings his children back home again. And this is going to happen out of exile, out of darkness, out of captivity, far away from home. God is going to do a new thing and he's going to pull his children back. So look at Jesus, dry your tears. This child is how God brings us back. This child, dry your tears. It's how God brings home those of us who feel so far from home. You with me? That was a little bit more complicated. And now we come to the funnest one of the bunch, number five, number five. The fifth thing that you need to see is just the town of Nazareth, the town of Nazareth. There are, not, there, <laughs> there are moments when I'm alone, like studying this stuff, and then all of a sudden I'm like, wah! <laughs> I had one of those on this one. Okay, here we go. So verses 22 to 23, uh, the town of Nazareth. Here we go. Having been warned in a dream... He withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So just really quick, if you have a mental map in your mind, they were in Bethlehem because of that census. They escaped to Egypt to flee from being killed. And when they come back, they don't go back to Bethlehem, they go to Nazareth to live in Nazareth. It's a town in Galilee, okay? And it says, of course they went to Nazareth because that was fulfilled, what was fulfilled through the prophets uh, that he would be called a Nazarene. That's, that's the fulfillment, right? That he, he was supposed to be called a Nazarene. All right, let's, let's kind of unpack this one. This is the wildest one of the bunch. Where do the prophets say that Jesus would be called, or that the Messiah or the one to come would be called a Nazarene. Where do, where, where, what Bible verse? Can, can you shout out a Bible verse? They don't. Good answer. I don't know who just said that, but thank you. you yes, you get all the points today. They don't. You cannot find me a Bible verse that says Jesus is supposed to be called a Nazarene. So, 
Are the scriptures deceiving us? Are we being lied to here? Not at all. Something beautifully tricky and fun is happening here. It's a play on words. So here's the fun part. So the Hebrew word for branch, you know, like the branch on a tree, branch on a tree. The Hebrew word for branch is the word netzer, netzer. Say that to your neighbor, netzer, netzer. This is the word you're going to share with people at Christmas for Christmas dinner. I learned a new Hebrew word, netzer, and it means branch, branch. Nazareth in Hebrew is the word netzeret, netzeret. Now say that out loud, netzeret. Can you hear it? Nazareth, netzeret, right? It's the, Nazareth, literally it means branch town, <laughs> town of branches. Beautiful, right? Like that's the slogan. When you drive into Nazareth, there's a little sign that says Town of Branches, right? Welcome. <laughs> branch Town. Branch Town. That's what it means. Nazareth just means branch town. Okay? Now, you're like, what is who cares? <laughs> what is this about? Okay, well, let me tell you something powerful. Did you know that this Hebrew word netzer, branch, is a title for the Messiah? It's a title for the king. The king was called a branch. The branch. Why? Well, look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 2. This is fascinating. A shoot, by the way, this is like 700 years before Jesus, okay? So just, this is a prophecy. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. So what's the prophet saying? He's saying, Israel, the people of Israel are like a tree chopped down, (laughs) cut. So in your minds, you should picture a stump, right? And it looks hopeless. People of Israel have been cut. This is very poetic, right? Very poetic picture, cut down. But that's weird. Right in the middle of the stump is a little branch growing. It's like new life. There's like a green branch growing out of this chopped down stump, right? And this branch seems to be a person. (laughs) Notice in Isaiah 11, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Oh, so the branch is a him. Oh, that's interesting. The spirit of wisdom will rest on him. The spirit of counsel and might will rest on him. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord will rest on him. So, So according to the prophets... This was the king. This was the Messiah. Someone, a he, is going to come. And he's the branch. He's the branch. Because where there was nothing but death, cut down people, new life would, would break forth. A branch would start growing, growing out of a people that look dead, cut down, destroyed. New life springs forth. And that life would come with the new king. So... So you say, well, there was no prophet that said Nazareth, but Jesus ends up living in branch town, right? And he seems to be the Messiah, the branch that would grow from the cut stump. Jesus, Matthew is pointing. He says, look, 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 look. He's the one. He's the branch. He's the one. You will want to be grafted into him. He's this vine, he's this tree, he's, this, he's the one who's going to be growing and your life needs to be attached. You want life? You be grafted into him. You want life? Be found in him. All of life is going to come from him. 
And when it looks like there's nothing but death, a cut down stump, a new branch is growing, a new tree, and hope for what God would do in the world. All right, that was the fifth one. How are we doing? Doing okay? Okay. In the last five minutes, let's bring this home. Here's the deal. Step back now and look at the whole canvas. We've been up close looking at five details, but now step back. And when I, when I was studying this, I st- took a step back and I was like, oh, just wow. <laughs> What's going on here? A reversal. Each of these five things shows this massive reversal, right? Where there was no hope, slavery in Egypt, right? At famine in Egypt, cut down trees, Rachel weeping, you name it. Where there was hopelessness, where there was darkness, a great reversal happens through this child. So when you start asking the question, who's this child? What's the point of Christmas? Why do we celebrate this? Look at these five things. Out of a dead end, out of a cul-de-sac, out of being stuck in darkness, God does a great reversal. So first of all, when Joseph has dreams in Egypt, you should be thinking, God is ready to feed the world. Out of a famine that you and I experience in our own lives, God is ready to feed us. How? Through Jesus, the bread of life. Joseph is having dreams in Egypt. Listen closely. The bread of life is coming. God's ready to feed the world. Number two, out of Egypt I called my son. Amidst the darkness of slavery, God is ready to set his kids free through a new exodus. Jesus will liberate the captives, and he's ready to do that today. Number three, when you see the massacre of the innocents, you should see that a new Moses has shown up. A new Moses who will confront the powers in your life and the darkness in your life and will stand in front of you and will stand before the darkness and say, let my child go, let my people go. And if you've come here today feeling like you need an advocate, you need someone to stand in front of the darkness and liberate you from the powers that are, have taken hold of your life, Jesus stands right there in the gap and says, let my children go, let my people go. And number four, when you see Rachel weeping for her children, you should know that God is just in the business of taking his kids who are far from home, his kids who are in, in exile. If you are coming today with a great burden for those you love who are stuck, who are far away, just remember, God is a God through in Jesus is ready to bring you back home. He's ready to draw you back home, right? And the posture is that of a father with his arms wide open, ready to receive his children. And number five, when you see the town of Nazareth, you need to know that when life seems hopeless and everything feels cut down, chopped down, absolutely hopeless, when you look at your life and it looks like nothing, like a cut cut stump, right? Just right there, zero life. You should see that in Christ, there is a new branch growing and that all of your hope is found in him. The, the branch, the vine, the tree, the one who gives you life, and your life will be found as you are rooted and grafted in him. So just know, when I saw all of it, put it together, I'm like, he is here. He's the light in the darkness. He's, he's ready to do a great reversal in your life. And if only we have eyes to see what Matthew, the gospel writer, wants us to see, we're filled with this great hope. Because as the prophet said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned, and he's ready to shine a light into your life today. As Leslie Newbegin, the British missionary to India, once said, he said, the business of light is to banish darkness. The business of light is to banish it. So the business of Jesus, our Messiah and our King, is to banish the darkness, and he would like to do that today. And I want us to pray. 
because we want to come into an encounter with the living Christ. Would you join me in prayer? So would you just take a moment and bring to him that darkness? Bring to him that moment where you feel stuck. Would you just offer him that dead end story? And Spirit of the living God, we pray that in the next couple minutes as we pray to you, that your spirit would move in this room and that you would do what only you can do, that you would set us free, pour your love into our hearts. And so North Langley, are you hungry? Image number one, are you hungry? Do you feel like you're walking through a bit of a famine in your own life? Do you have a hunger for more of God or for purpose or for hope? Jesus is the bread of life. Would you just ask him to feed you? Ask him to come in and feed you. Or secondly, maybe, maybe your story is one where you're trapped, feeling addicted, feeling stuck. And would you hear this morning that God declares over your life, out of Egypt I call my son. So if you are in Jesus, you are set free from a new exodus. Would you ask God to set you free today? But the third image is some of you might be struck with fear. You're walking through fear. There's some kind of power or stronghold that keeps you or someone you love trapped in fear. And for you today, would you see Jesus standing before you, in front of you, and he's saying to the darkness, let my son go, let my daughter go. Or a fourth image. Maybe you just feel so far from God. You feel like you're in exile. You feel like you're so separated from him. And Jesus is here to bring you home to the Father. So would you just simply pray, would you bring me home? It's been a long time and I feel far from you, God. Would you bring me home? Finally, maybe you're here and you're just saying, Matthew, it is impossible. I feel lifeless. I feel so dry. I feel like there's parts of my life that feel like a stump totally cut down. And would you see in that branch life growing, hope growing? Jesus is the king who brings life to dead places. And would you just say, come rescue me? I want your life, Jesus. would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you, over you, as we continue to worship. 
here in a minute, you're welcome to come forward. Our prayer team, any of those five categories, our prayer team would love to pray with you, to come alongside you, to pray alongside you. Our prayer room is in the back. But join me as we just lift up the coming minutes. These coming minutes are important. Just, you know, this is an encounter right now with the living Christ. There's there's no better thing to do at Christmas than to actually capture the depth and the power of the Christmas story. God is ready to do a great reversal in your story. And that's the hope. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. Jesus, keep kicking at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. We need your light to come and save us and rescue us and banish the darkness. We pray, I lift up my friends to you here today, and I pray that you would be their great rescuer, and that today would be a, 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 there would be a before and an after. God, that this Christmas, that my friends in this room would remember this moment when at the bleakest time of the year, um, at the most hopeless time of the year for many, and some of the saddest moments of the year, God, you stepped in with a great light and a great mercy. And so would you do a beautiful reversal in our story, whether big things, small things, whatever it is, because we know that we have hope in you, because in you, Jesus, there's life, and that life is the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, and cannot, and will not overcome it.